0: as they hear about the greatness of God through the gospel. And and for the rest of us, why don't you grab a copy of God's Word or take your phone or device and and, and turn on the Bible. You can open that app. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. And if you've got one of the Bibles that we provide, we will be on page 811. Well, my name is John Chastain. I serve as one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill Church. Um, It's my honor to bring... God's Word to you today. As as we wrap up this Real Life series, today we're going to be talking about another just real life issue, money. Money is something that we use, that we spend every day. And oftentimes, we don't even think about many of the purchases that we're making in life. But there's nothing more real about life than thinking about money. I mean, just just go on this trail with me, this journey for a second. Whether it's rent or mortgage or car payment or gas in the car or taxes for the car or tolls or your T pass or just bills the gas bill, the electric bill, the water bill, the cable bill, the internet bill. I mean, we can go on and on, and on. I haven't even started just, I mean, to, to, to hit the tip of the iceberg on what we do with money. You got clothes, you got groceries, you got eating out, you got vacations, you got birthday presents, you got Christmas presents, you got insurance, and on, and on, and on we go. Is anybody's heart starting to to beat a little bit faster? Can anybody just sense the heat rising in their life as I, as I just go down the many things that you have to do with money? Well, you see, money oftentimes causes great fear, worry, and anxiety in our lives that even can, can grow to the point of consuming us and controlling us. But it doesn't have to be that way. There is a better day, a better way. What I want to do with you today in the time that I've got is to talk about how we can crush fear, worry, and anxiety and to gain financial peace as we walk in daily devotion to the Prince of Peace, King Jesus and so I'll just be honest with you. My goal today is not, to, is not just to talk to you, my thoughts on money. I want us to go to the text. We're going to just, man, look at a few verses. And I just want us to pray collectively. Hey, God, would you open my eyes and teach me what you have to say about money and that he would give us grace to respond in obedience. So let's look at Matthew 6 here. I'm going to start reading in verse 19. The word of God says this, Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This passage we just read here is a part of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Back at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gathers his disciples and he's sitting on the mount and he's teaching them what it looks like to follow him and what life's like in the kingdom of God. And so what we're going to do and just kind of setting our trajectory, I just want to unpack just the clear teaching of Scripture. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take these principles and commands and apply them to the three things we do with money. We spend, we save, and we give. And so the first command that I want us to see, just drawing out from Matthew 19, and, and I really don't have to be creative This is what Jesus is telling us to do. Command number one is this. Do not store up earthly treasures. Did you hear that? Jesus isn't sitting down with his disciples offering a few financial suggestions. He is commanding them. Do not store up treasures on earth. And he gives this reason where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Look, it's not that treasures are bad. It's that they won't last forever. They can either be lost, they can be stolen, or they're eventually going to break. And if you need a life lesson on this, just go on a field trip to the local junkyard. Because that's where all of our toys are going to end up one day. And if you're a parent, it would be great just to take your kids on a field trip and just go walk to the edge and look over and say, all of our our stuff is one day going to end up here. Do not store up earthly treasures. But then he gives the opposite, the positive in verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so the second command is store up heavenly treasures. Now get this. God wants you to store up treasures. He's not saying don't store up treasures. He's talking about what kind of treasures are you storing up? Are you storing up earthly treasures or are you storing up heavenly treasures. You see, the person who devotes energy, time, and resources into storing up earthly treasures is limited in perspective. Look at the reason Jesus gives in verse 20. He says, the the heavenly treasures, if you store those up, that's where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. The reason that you should invest in heavenly treasures is because they will last forever. Let's just think about it for a second. If we were to look at the broader teaching of Scripture, we would hear some other principles like this. This is not my home. This earth is not my final destination. You and I were made to be with God. We were made to live with him forever. I'm just an alien here. I'm awaiting my eternal home in a new heaven and a new earth with the triune God for all eternity. That is what you and I were made for. And when you believe that, it changes everything. One of my favorite authors on money is a guy by the name of Randy Alcorn reflecting on these verses, he describes it this way. He says, the person who stores up earthly treasures is living for the dot and not the line. Here's what he means by that. I've got a ball of white thread right here. If I were to take this thread And attach it to the rail in the very back and run this thread and stretch a line all the way to right here. That line, let's just say for this illustration, represents eternity. Now here's what I want you to do, every single one of you. Not physically, but I want you to do this. I want you to just think about how much of your life is represented on that line. In light of eternity, it's merely a dot. So, what Randy Alcorn says is the person who, who spends their life storing up earth, earthly treasures is living for the dot and not the line. So what Jesus is saying is, don't live for the dot, live for the line. Don't be limited in your perspective. Look eternally and invest in things that will last forever. Your life is merely a vapor. Don't live for the dot, live for the line. But Jesus continues, verse 21. And he gives an implication drawing from these two commands. And he says this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't miss this. When Jesus gets a hold of your heart, he changes everything. He changes the way we talk. He changes the way we parent. He changes the way we use technology. He changes the way we go about decision making. And he changes the way we use money. There is no square inch of your life that Jesus doesn't have something that he wants to speak into. He wants to reign supremely in your life. And that includes money, simply put. Jesus is saying that the way you use money is one of the clearest testimonies and proofs of whether he's really the greatest treasure in your life. It's true. Our checkbooks and our credit credit card statements say a lot about what we treasure in life. But in the kingdom of God, there will be no rivals. I mean, we—I I could go story after story in the Bible. I'll just bring, take your mind quickly to three. You guys know about a, a man named the, the rich young man. Jesus has an encounter with him, and he tells him, "Go sell everything and give it to the poor. Come follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven." And you know what the story says? It says the man went away sad because he had great possessions. Now, if we had time, I'd love to go back and look at it because what I skipped over is it says Jesus loved him and he said, go sell everything. It was loving for Jesus to tell him, go sell everything because he could have treasure in heaven. The man went away sad because it revealed that his greatest treasure was in his possessions and not in Jesus. But I could take you to another illustration called Zacchaeus. You guys know the story of Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector? And when he encounters Jesus, what happens? Jesus comes to his house and, ch- and just wrecks his life in a good way. And Zacchaeus responds and says, Jesus, I sell half my possessions to the poor, and I'm coming and following you. It's revealing that Zacchaeus saw who Jesus was, and Jesus was the greater treasure than anything that money could offer but you really want a good example? Go read Acts in the early church. That's really what we're about here, right? We're here preaching the gospel. We want to see the gospel give birth in this new church, Redemption Hill. We're now five years in to just grow. What we see is, is when the gospel's preached, Peter preaches the gospel, thousands respond and believe, and they start gathering in Acts 2, and it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, to the communion, and it says this. And no one had a need among them because they were selling their possessions and giving as anybody had need. Go read Acts 2, Acts 3, and Acts 4, and you see clearly that Jesus reigned supremely over their money. What you do with money reveals who or what is ruling your heart. But then a final implication before we jump into some practical realities is this. In verse 24 of Matthew 6, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And the implication is this. It's pretty clear. It's what Jesus says. You cannot serve God and money. What does he mean by that? Money poses as a separate kingdom to the kingdom of God. Money leads us to arrogance, to pride, to self-sufficiency, to independence from God. Money deceives us by getting us to believe that we can buy anything and everything that we need for joy and happiness and that we don't even need God but in the kingdom of God, there will be no rivals. King Jesus demands absolute and total surrender to his will. Now here's what I wanna do. We just read a few verses here, but I wanna just jump back real quick on two verses surrounding this passage. Go back in Matthew six to verse nine. In Matthew six, verse nine, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And this is what he says. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. The way disciples pray, it's the kingdom of God, it is the will of God. Now now I want to jump also to the end. That's before this passage on money, praying for the will of God, for the kingdom of God. At the end of this passage on money, starting in verses 25 and ending down in 34, we have this section on worry. I don't think it's any accident where this has been placed in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says in verse In chapter 6, verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. And he continues this whole section about worry. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Do not fear. And it ends in verse 33 of chapter 6 that says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Now catch this the cool part about seeking God's kingdom is that this is the pathway to financial peace. When your life is a daily devotion of your kingdom come, your will be done. I seek first your kingdom. That's the person that has peace. It's the person that's serving money and storing up treasures on earth that's consumed with fear and worry and anxiety, either that you don't have enough or if you've got too much, you're worried about somebody who's coming after it or you gotta manage it all. You cannot serve God in money because money poses as a threat to the kingdom of God. And so this leads us to the main point that God wants you to, embrace today. It's really simple, summarizing it by saying this, the way you gain financial peace is through devotion to the Prince of Peace, King Jesus. The way you gain financial peace is through devotion to the Prince of Peace, King Jesus. Here's what I want to do in the rest of our time. I don't want you to think that just because I've spent just a few minutes covering these four principles, commands, implications, that they're not important. In reality, what I hope you do is take those and you just go this week and you just pray and wrestle over them. Because if you just get that, it's going to change the way you view money. So because of my time spent on that, I don't want you to, I want to kind of, with those principles in mind, I want to now move and say, okay, if we were to obey these commands and, and apply these principles, what would it look like? What effect would it have on how we spend money, on how we save money, and on how we give money? The first thing I want to start with is, is how we spend. And so the truth is this, display devotion in your spending, and it's devotion to King Jesus. Display devotion to King Jesus in your spending. The reason I want to start with spending is because... I believe the reason most of us are not able to save or give is because we do not spend very well. And while there's a lot that we could cover related to spending, and, and if you know me, I love talking money. And let me just say this I'm honored to share this sermon with you. I realize I'm only 35, I've got limited life experience. And so I'm sharing out of my life experience and what it means to follow Jesus in my word. I, I don't want you guys to think that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm displaying an arrogance or in any way. Like, I'm just, man, I just want us to wrestle with the truths of God. As so as I love talking about, them, about money, and I can't share everything today. I'd love to just grab a coffee, and we can talk about some other things. And there's probably a lot of others that would love to do that as well. But I, what I'm sharing with you today are the things that I believe, it's like, man, the most important things that I want you to get as it relates to these three areas. Now, before we jump in to getting into some of the nitty-gritty spending, I've got to give you one other key principle. It flows out of some of the other things that we've just talked about, and it's this. God owns everything. I'm just his money manager. If I'm not serving money but serving God, and I'm praying the kingdom of God and the will of God and seeking his kingdom, well, then he's king, and I'm not, and he rules and owns, and I'm just a steward. When you get this, this really helps you just start focusing on what does it look like to spend money? Check this out. Has anybody ever bought or sold a car? Probably none of you are familiar with this. What I've got here is a Massachusetts Department of Transforma- Transportation Certificate of Title. Maybe this would be helpful to you. Recently, a Mavavo. Man, went downhill, it tanked, and um, I sold it for like pennies, man, because it wasn't worth much. But when I sold it, I pull out this title, which shows that I actually own it, and we turn it over, and on the back, what happens here is it says that I hereby assign, transfer, convey ownership of this vehicle to this person I'm selling it to. And so I sign it, and I hand it over, and this is proof that I now no longer own my Volvo. Whoever I sold it to, you own it. When King Jesus starts ruling in our hearts, when you come to faith in Jesus, maybe for some of you, you just need to take out a sheet of paper and say, you know what, I'm transferring ownership of everything, and it's yours. It's yours. Maybe you just need, that may be your action step to go home this week and just wrestle through that. And just everything I have, just make a list and say, all right, Jesus, you now own this. I'm just the steward. I'm the money manager. And what I'm going to do, Jesus, say, your will be done. How do you want me to use all this stuff that you've given me? As a result, we start praying and asking, okay, God, this isn't my money. It's your money. And how do you want me to spend your money? And you know what? God's going to hold us accountable for this. We can look at other passages of, you know, the five talents, the two talents, and the one talents, and what's God expect? He expects that we steward what he's given us well so that we can hear good and faithful servant when we see him one day. And so if we are going to steward well and we're going to be accountable well, we have to be intentional with how we spend our money. And I'm just, some of you aren't gonna like what I'm about to say, but the best way to be intentional about your money is by living on a zero-based budget. I said the B word, I did. Some of you hate that B word, some of you are like, it's a cuss word, like I don't, like a budget, just like maybe just spend shrills just went going down your spine. I'm being honest with you. I asked Lee, Lee and I were hanging out the other day and said, Lee, if you could give anybody one piece of advice, what's your best money advice? One thing she said, live on a budget. I texted a few people, hey, give me one thing. What would be your best piece of advice? Live on a strategic budget. I don't know of any other way to be a good steward and intentional if you don't live on a budget. And when I say zero-based, here's what I mean by that. Zero-based means you take everything that you make and then you all the expenses you've got, and I've got all this, at the very bottom, when you balance it all, you subtract all your expenses, it ought to be at least zero. And if it's over zero, you gotta go back and you gotta readjust the budget because you don't have the money. You follow me there? I know For some of you, the most spiritual thing that you can do out of this sermon is to go home and start living on a budget. And you know what? There's some great resources out there. Um, Dave Ramsey's got a lot. I mean, you just Google, man, financial budget, home budget, and you can get a bunch of examples. Um, That may be one of the best things. And there's a lot of resources, too. Lee and I, we've got an app that syncs up between, because we live on a unified, it's not her money and my money, it's our money. And so we pinky swear on a budget, and we say, okay, this is how we're gonna spend our money. And when we make an expense, we plug in our budget. And so she can see, and throughout the month, it's tracking down so we can see, here's how much we've got left. That's biblical, it's practical, but it's biblical because we're seeking to be good stewards and intentional about the money God's given us. It takes time. But for some of you, that may be your next step. Maybe on your Connect card, your response may need, I need help and how to figure out how to live on a budget. That may be your next step that you share with us, and we come along and help you with that. Now, with that said, let me just share a few things related to spending. One is this. Allow God to set your salary. What? Okay, God, I want my salary to be this much. Here's what I mean by that. This is one of the central spiritual decisions you will make in life. Randy Alcorn, again, writes and says this. When God provides more money, we often think this is a blessing. Well, yes, but it would be just as scriptural to think this is a test. Just because God puts his money in our hands doesn't mean he intends for it to stay there. I'll give you an illustration. Let's say you go and buy a birthday present for somebody in your family. May it say your mom and dad. And you wrap it all up and you tape it up and you put on the front here to mom and dad, to dad, happy birthday, you got their address, and you go take this and you drop it off at the UPS store. What is the responsibility of the UPS store? Their responsibility, they're just the middleman. They've got to get it to the final destination. And so they look at it and say, oh, this is going to Donald Ray Chastine and Scarlett Chastine in Bowling Spring, South Carolina, and they're gonna do the best they can to get it delivered in a timely manner to my parents. But what if, instead of doing that, they took it, opened it up, and just started using that present that I got for mom and dad? What would you think about that? How often do we do that with God? Just because God puts it in your hands doesn't mean that it's supposed to stay there. When we start praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, we start looking at our salaries. And for some of us, God may say, you're gonna live on 50% of this and 50% of it's going somewhere else. For some of us, maybe this isn't a huge issue right now because you're just barely trying to scrap by. But I want you to get this. Just because it comes in your hands, whether it's an inheritance, whether whatever, a gift or you earn it, doesn't mean you've got to spend it. You're just God's money manager. Second, spend within your means. Don't overspend. Hey, this sounds pretty simple, but we live in a culture that basically assumes the way you go about money is debt. If you don't have it, you just put it on credit, and I'll pay the minimum balance, and and we'll just keep going that way. That is not the way to financial peace. You will never be able to do with money what God wants you to do with money if you continuously live in debt. This is why I say a zero-based budget. If you've got categories of spending that you don't have money for, you gotta go back and you gotta adjust the budget. Let me just ask you a few questions. Do you know right now off the top of your head how much you spend on eating out each month? you know how much you spend on groceries each month. Man, I could go down the list. If you don't know how much you're spending, how do you know whether you're being a good steward of what God's given you? You see, living on a budget isn't just making sure, well, there's still money in the bank account this month, so we're Okay. That's not living on a zero-based budget. A zero-based budget means I pull out and I strategically say, hey, God, how much money do you want us to spend on this category, in this category, in this category, in this category, and then you make it all line up, and at the bottom it's zero. And there's other things in that budget like saving and spending, I mean, and giving that we'll get to in a second, but it's all got to equal zero. Here are the main areas most people overspend. One is eating out. If you want to start taking steps to be intent, I'm not saying don't eat out. I'm saying it's really quick and easy to blow a bunch of money eating out. Second, entertainment. Third, cars. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. I'll just share briefly. I mentioned that Volvo. You know how... That Volvo was a 2004 Volvo. Somebody, I didn't buy it brand new. I bought it used. Somebody, somebody bought it brand new. You know how much I sold that 2004 Volvo for? 650 bucks. That hurt. Now just think about that. Somebody bought that brand new in 2004. I don't know what the, the sticker, sticker price of it was. At the end of the day, 12 years later, you got 650 bucks to show for it. Guys, I know like uh, there are a lot of motivations that, that like you get that first job and you're like, man, I'm just gonna buy my first car. But guys, just wrestle here with me. If you're gonna be good with money, you've gotta put money in things that go up in value and don't go down in value. That's the principle. And so if you're just spending a bunch of money in cars going down in value, you're losing money. And so, you know what, I don't care what you think about my cars. We've got a van that's got a, almost 180,000 miles. My Volvo had 170 some thousand miles. I, I'm fine with that because I'll buy that car, and, and it's going to still lose money, but I'm not going to buy that new car and lose that much money. It, to me, it's, I want to be a steward, and I don't care what other people think about the car I drive. So I may be stepping on some toes here. I'm just being gut honest. One of the main ways that I see young professionals, college students, and just people in general is we're just throwing money away in cars. That's in love. I'm not saying don't drive a nice car. I'm just saying, man, just start praying. Like, God, is this the best steward of my money? Another area, education. I know we've got tough students in here. Um. Another issue that is just assumed right now is that you just go into whatever buku's of debt to get the education you can get. I just share this with you, and I want young parents that, are, their kids aren't in college yet, just to wrestle with this, because I've counseled people with $200,000, $400,000 of debt and I'm trying to help them, like, cast hope that there's hope one day that you'll be able to be a good steward. But that's a big hole to dig out of. And so we're giving 18 and 19-year-olds $100,000 of debt and, like, expecting them to, like, graduate. And, like, yeah, go get your life together. Like, that's hard. So don't buy into it. I know it's just assumed. It's okay. Go get whatever debt you can get to go to college. But I'm not, I'm not convinced. That that's the best way. I don't have time right now to put the solution with you, but I'd love to talk more in thinking about how we go about college in a way that spins within our means. Third is this. Spend wisely according to God's will. I've got to move on, but I'll just give you a few encouragements here. One, don't make rash and quick financial decisions. Sleep on it. That's a piece of advice that's, that's been passed down to me. Whenever I'm making a big purchase, I never make it rushed. I'm going to go home and I'm going to sleep on it. Another encouragement. If you're making a big purchase and you're married, be unified with your spouse. I always make sure that Lee and I are unified. And if we're not unified, we're not making the purchase. Another encouragement. Don't make big financial decisions in isolation. I don't get this, but... Oftentimes, I just hear of, like, huge financial decisions being made. I'm like, man, if, if you had just come and, like, had a conversation, we, I might could have saved you a ton of heartache. There are some very wise people in our church with money. And if you hang around here long enough, you're going to be able to pinpoint who they are. Just watch their, their giving, their living, their spending, their saving habits. You'll be able to see that. Go just sit down with them and say, you know what? You look like you've got it together financially. Man, give me some advice. And here's something I'm praying about and thinking about. Give me some wisdom. That requires humility. But this is what the church is about. Let's steward well. Well, let me continue on. One of the reasons you need to budget well and spend wisely is because there are two other things God wants you to do with money. The next one is save. Display devotion in your saving. The first reason that we need to display devotion in our saving is so we don't presume upon God. If I had time, I'd take us back to Proverbs 6 where Solomon points to the ant and he says, learn wisdom from the ant. Here's what the ant does. The ant stores up in summer and autumn because the ant knows that winter's gonna come where it's gonna be hard to find food. The point is this, it's going to rain. So you need to plan for a rainy day. Look, emergencies come. They do. And, and you think you're, you're like, you're cool and emergencies aren't going to come your way. They're going to come. I could start listing out potential emergencies. A lost job, a medical emergency, an unexpected pregnancy, major car issues, the death of a loved one. How about this? How about a freezer that you leave on vacation is left open and you come back and all your food that you've just made that big Costco purchase? Is gone. Yeah, that was us yesterday. Yeah, don't feel sorry for us, you know. Hey, you know what? I don't worry about stuff like that anymore. Because when you have an emergency fund, it's for emergencies. Now, I, I would have said, you know what? That's never going to happen to us because we always shut the freezer door. But you know what? That's the point of emergencies. You can't plan them. But you know, at some point, I know emergencies is going to come. I can't tell you in the next five years what they're going to come. But I know in our family, there's going to be emergencies. So the, the wisdom of the ant is, save up for those emergencies. If you were to go and sit down in a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University, and hey, you're going to see a promo video later on the Smart Money Tour. I hope many of you can come. But the first three baby steps would be this. Baby step number one, start a $1,000 emergency fund. That's the very first thing you do after getting on a written budget. Why? Because he doesn't want an emergency to side rail and, and wreck you getting financially healthy. Baby step number two, pay off all the debt. And then baby step number three is get a three to six month emergency, emergency fund. And the point is this, if you had to make it three to six months, maybe you lose your job or medical emergency or whatever, that's going to give you buffer. Hey men, check this out. This will give you tons of respect with your spouse. Because you know what a lot of times our spouses, our wives wrestle with just money, provision. And and, and by storing up an emergency fund of three to six months, I don't have to live life worrying about, man, paycheck to paycheck. What if the car breaks down this month? What if we got to go and make that Costco run because the freezer was left open and everything's ruined? Or whatever. Whatever. I don't worry about that anymore. It's one of just God's blessings that by, by being wise that crushes fear and worry. You know what? There's other things to save for also. So you've got, you've got emergencies, but you've also got, there's things you need to plan for. So for instance, you know that your car's on its last leg? You probably should plan for that. That's not an emergency. You can have foresight to see that. Maybe I should start saving a little bit for that. Um, my kid's probably gonna go to college one day. So um, You know, baby step five with Dave Ramsey is college funding for the kids. Baby step four with David Ramsey is retirement. Hey, there's probably gonna be a one day where I'm physically not gonna be able to work and bring an income, and so I should plan for that day. So you're looking ahead. Examples like an adoption. God's burdening your heart to go adopt. I need to start thinking about, hey, God, how do you want me to use your money? I need to save for things like that. Second. Second. Begin saving as early as you can. This one is just really simple. The first time somebody shared with me the power of compound interest, it blew my mind. It's basically this. If we had two guys that we were comparing and one guy started saving at the age of 19, 2,000 a year to age 26, and he didn't save another dime after the age of 26. You got that guy, and then you got another guy, who's 27 and he saves 2000 a year from age 27 to 65 who has the most money at 65 It's this guy It's the power of compound interest when this guy turned 27 he had already saved whatever that amount is I don't know it was $18,000 This guy had zero. That $18,000 with compounding interest was more than this guy who saved for the next 39 years combined. My goal is not to discourage you that are more seasoned in life and ahead, but I hope some of you young people get this. The reason you don't want to come out of college with debt is because if you got debt, you can't save. And if you can't save, you can't hit the power of compounding interest. Third truth about saving, align your saving goals with the mission and will of God. Saving simply to build wealth is very dangerous because it's usually motivated by greed or fear and worry and seeks to stockpile resources so that you no longer have to depend on God. You see, we should save in order to be wise and not presume upon God, but not so much that it would lead me to deny God. And I'm going to share something that that you're going to have to wrestle with. It's this. When Jesus returns, every single thing that you've got in savings is utterly useless. I know any financial advisor would say your emergency fund is untouchable. Sit it aside and don't touch it. In retirement, it's untouchable. I'm not telling you right now to go like cash out your 401k or your retirement or your emergency fund, but you, you've got to wrestle with this. If Jesus comes back tomorrow, it doesn't matter how much you've saved. And this is a spiritual principle that you have to be led by the Holy Spirit and seek his wisdom. You guys follow me there? So we want to save because it's wise, but we also need to hold that intention that when Jesus comes back... it what I've put in savings will not be left over for heavenly treasure. And so we walk with this tension of God leading us, the Spirit leading us. And so I would say this, one last piece of advice related to saving. When in doubt, don't hoard gift. If you've got to lean one way or the other and you're seeking wisdom, don't hoard gift and trust God's provision. Let's move on to the last one, the last point. Display devotion in your giving. Here's one. I just want to give some just real principles. Write the scripture references down. For time's sake, we can't look at them all. But biblical giving is this. It's voluntary. You you don't see in the Bible anybody being forced or coerced to give. It ought to be voluntary, not under compulsion. It ought to be cheerful. Look, when I give, I don't give thinking, man, I wish I could spend that on... I give because when I give, I'm investing in the line. It should be motivated by love. And what we mean by that is we look at Jesus. We sing about the sacrificial death of Jesus. And you know what? Jesus didn't tie this blood, as one famous pastor has said. He gave his life. We're not just saying, all right, God, here's your 10%, and I got 90% to do with what I want. No, it's, God, here's 100%. He's as much ownership of the 90 as he is the 10. And what motivates us is look at Jesus. It ought to be proportionate as you have been prospered. It ought to be systematic, regular, not just sporadic. And it ought to be intentional. I'm going to share my personal example, not as to say, to pat me on the shoulder, just say this is, this is what I've been through in life. Lee and I got married two weeks out of college. Two weeks later, she started her first full-time job, teaching, and I started master's work and an intern salary. We've lived debt-free except the house. And from the very beginning, we agreed that we were going to be generous with our money. And so from the very beginning of our marriage, we've always given at least 10%. To our local church. And the reason I say our local church is because I believe the primary avenue that God's using to build his kingdom is through the local church. There are a lot of other great things we also give to. We've got friends who serve with crew and other things, but primarily at least 10% to our local church. And I'll just say this, if you can't give, if you can't be generous when you don't have much, you won't be generous when you have much. That's what somebody taught me, and that's why we put on that principle. It wasn't like, hey, we'll wait till one day when we've got a lot of money and we'll start being. No, we said from the very beginning of our marriage, we're going to build in us generosity and displaying the generosity of God. And so we've always done that. And it hasn't been easy. When you make a decision to be sacrificial and generous, you know what you've got to do? You've got to say no to a lot of other things. And so, you know, we've said no to other things because our prayer is your kingdom come, come. Your will be done. We're going to store up treasures on heaven and not on this earth. So I would just plead with you. Even young college students, you may say, you know, I don't have much money. Even if you don't have an income, I would say, start giving a dollar a week. You know why? It's going to build in you. I give. It's this rhythm. I give. I give. And when you get that first job, you go ahead and in that budget, being intentional, here's what we do in our budget process. We don't do everything and then come back to the giving and say, well, we've got this left over. This is what we can give. I'm just being honest with you. We start with give first. I know I'm doing it last here, but for us, we go to the first line item. We look at what God and see. This is what we're committing to our local church. We then go down and saving is next. This is what we're going to say for retirement and for these things that we're planning. And then we take whatever's left over and say, this is what we've got left to spend. we got to make it work. And it's going to hit zero at the bottom. That, to me, is seeking the kingdom of God first. Our giving should also be sacrificial. The point is this, not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. You may be here and you're like, man, I don't make much. You know what's awesome in the eyes of God? What's awesome in the eyes of God is not the somebody who's giving a huge amount but it's only a percentage of their paycheck, but the persons who's given a little, but it's the huge percentage of their paycheck. In your eyes, you may be thinking, I'm not giving much. God's looking at your heart, He's not looking at the dots or where the decimal is. So don't give comparing. Ooh, I don't give as much as this person. You give saying, God, I just want to respond and be like Jesus. And then giving grips your hearts for the things of God. Remember that verse we read? For where your treasure is, there your heart is. In one sense, where we spend money reveals what's going on in our hearts. But the flip side of that coin is this. Your heart chases where you spend your money. If I were to go buy a boat, I'm not gonna buy a boat. I don't know what I'd do with a boat. We go hang out on the Charles and do a community group out there. Um, seek the kingdom of God. I buy a boat. I'm going to have to justify spending that money on that boat. So then I'm going to start using it. My heart, I'm going to start thinking about boats and motors and fishing rod. You know, you see where I'm going here? Our heart chases where we spend God's money. You want to get a heart that falls in love with the kingdom of God? Give to his church. Go find a missionary. Go, go say, you know what, God? I want you to burden my heart for these kids who are overseas and are in orphanages and who have no home. And you want a heart for adoption? Go find somebody and say, I want to support your adoption because I want God to give me a heart for adoption. I want God to give me a heart for the nations. Just start giving your money and just watch your heart chase after it. Look, the problem for for many of us often is that we're spending so much money on earthly things and our hearts are chasing those things. And God's trying to pry us loose so that we can live for the line. 2020 vision at Redemption Hill is about the line. I dream of a day where financial resources are no reason why we can't accomplish the mission and will of God in Medford. And, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, if we're going to see that happen, it's going to take collective sacrifice and belief that we're living for the line and not the dot. Can I get an amen? And I know that's not easy to hear, because it means we've got to say no to the dot. As we wrap up, I just plead with you, let King Jesus, the Prince of Peace, rule over your money. And store up treasures in heaven. Look, if you're here today and you're just kind of feeling overcome with guilt, let me just help you out here. Your next step today isn't to say, yo, I'll I'll try to do better. If you're hearing my words today and you're looking at your heart and you're saying, you know what, I don't think Jesus is my greatest treasure. Your next step today isn't to go work on your budget. It's to fall on your face and repent and come to Jesus and say, save me. Forgive me. Show me how good you are and embrace the cross of Christ. That's your next step. And then get up and say, Jesus, I'm following you. Show me what I need to do this week related to spending, saving, and giving. Make decisions in life not to please others, but at the end of the day to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't live for the dots. Lift for the line. Let's pray. Father, I know we've wrestled with some just really hard truths today, but my prayer is that you, by your spirit, would grant us eyes to see and embrace the treasure of Jesus that you would loosen our grips on earthly treasures and you would grip our hearts with the lost, with social justice issues, with the things that break your heart, with the less fortunate. God, I pray you would give us strength as you're leading some of us today to go home and, and pull out the budgets or start for the first time with a budget and start praying through our line items and saying, God, is this how you want me to spend your money? God, would you give us strength? Would you give us wisdom? God, above all, would you give us delight? That this wouldn't be a burden to us, but it would be freeing to say, King Jesus is reigning over my finances. God, would you raise our church up such that we're so good stewards of our money that that we don't have to wait for the church planter to raise the money for the next church plant or to wait for that missionary to raise that money for the next missionary or to wait for somebody to say, I want to adopt to build up that adoption fund or whatever it is. That we would just, man, we, we would just give and we would give and we'd give and we'd walk by faith and see your amazing story being written in our lives. God, lead, God, direct. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. As a, as we get.